Amen. All right, well, we're there in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. And on Wednesday nights, we are studying through the book of 1 Corinthians, just going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through uh, the chap through the, the book. And, you know, what I really like about these Bible studies is that there's really no, no agenda uh, as far as what's being preached or what we're saying. We're just studying the Bible together, going through it. And uh, this chapter was a very interesting chapter to me in 1 Corinthians 5 because of the fact that it's probably one of the most, I don't know that it's the most, but it's one of the most, it would be on the list of uh, passages, of chapters, and of things in the Bible that are ignored by Christians. And today, you're going to find very few churches that preach about 1 Corinthians 5, and you're going to find even less churches that actually apply what's taught in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. So, uh, I think, you know, we definitely uh, teach it, preach it, believe it, uh, and, and practice it here. And we try to do that with everything uh, in the Bible. But I want you to notice just several things from this chapter. And, um, you know, in, in this book, as we've been dealing with uh, the church at Corinth, Paul's been dealing, the Apostle Paul has been dealing with a lot of the matters of the heart and of the mind of the Corinthian church, some of the problems. In chapter 5, he kind of transitions a little bit, and he's going to start dealing with problems in the Corinthian church, actual just problems uh, of sin in their church. And in this passage, we learn about both how to deal with sin within church, and we also learn about how to dispense discipline uh, within church. And in fact, that's the title of the sermon tonight, Church Discipline, and we learn about it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'd like to notice, first of all, for those of you who'd like to take notes, I want you to notice the problem. If you look at verse number 1 there, the first thing we see in this passage is the problem. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 1 says this, it is reported commonly. I want you to notice those words, reported commonly. Meaning this is something that's well known. This is something that your church is known for. Now, if there's some things, you know, you want your church, your church known for. Uh, we want our church to be known for the aggressive soul winning that we do around here. We want our church to be known, I'm talking about Verity Baptist Church, to be known uh, for the uh, hard preaching. You know, I just got a letter uh, from somebody that I don't know. But they were, uh, you know, returning a postcard. Our church sends postcards out to new uh, people that move into the area. And we sent out postcards for something we were doing around here. And somebody was returning a postcard uh, saying, you know, we know about your church. And we know about what you stand for and this and that, you know. And here's the thing. If there's something, if there, if there's something uh, to be known for, uh, let it be for hard preaching. You know, yeah. I, I you say, are you embarrassed that people know you for being the guy that preached hard against the sodomite? No, you know what? Every sodomite that gets a postcard from us, I'd rather they just know, you know, uh, where so we don't have to deal with it here. Right. But, you know, there's things you want your church to be known for. You want it to be known for biblical teaching, biblical preaching, aggressive soul winning, uh, uh, strong stands in the word of God. But this is not something you want your church known for. He says, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And then he says this, he says, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And the problem that the Apostle Paul is going to be dealing with the church at Corinth here is the fact that they have open sin in the congregation. There's a young man who's living in open fornication, and Paul says it's reported commonly. It's something your church is known for. It's something that your church is, uh, is, is 
people talk about. It's something that your church, uh, it, when people talk about your church, this is something that is commonly reported about this young man living in fornication. And I want you to notice the words, among you, among you. But I want you to notice there's also another problem. And really, this is the, the main problem that Paul is dealing with. Look at verse number two. He says, and ye are puffed up. Now, what does it mean to be puffed up? If you study that phrase out in Scripture, you'll find that it has to do with pride and arrogancy. So he says, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. He says, that's a problem, the fact that there's just open sin within the congregation. And please understand something. We're obviously all sinners. All of us are, are sinners. We're sinners saved by grace. We're all growing in the Lord. But in this chapter, we're going to find out that there are some sins that cannot be allowed to be part of the congregation or of a church. And again, you, you might say, well, I've never even heard that before. You know, I didn't know that there was anything like that. Well, Paul's dealing with that here. The, the problem with the sense that there's open sin in the congregation, it's open. It's reported. It's not something that someone's hiding or ashamed of. It's just this known thing, no big deal. But then Paul says there's another problem, and the problem is that with that situation of the open sin, in verse 2 he says, and ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned. He said the situation that you're in should break your heart. He said it should be shameful. It should be embarrassing. You ought to be mourning and saying, man, we can't believe that our churches came to this or that they're sitting again. But he said, no, you are actually puffed up about the situation. Notice verse 6. We're going to come back and look at verses 3, 4, and 5 in a second. But look at verse 6. He says, your glorying is not good. Now, what does it mean to glory? That phrase is basically used synonymously with boasting. He says, ye are puffed up. And he says, you are boasting. You are bragging. So you say, well, it's reportedly, uh, it's, it's commonly reported or it's reported commonly. Yeah, it's reported commonly by them. They're the ones that are boasting and bragging and glorying. And Paul says, your glorying is not good. Now you say, well, what is this thing that they're puffed up about and that they're glorying about? Well, listen to me. There is no new thing under the sun. And, you know, people today try to act like, oh, this book is 2,000 years old. You know, the, book, the, 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 the letter written to Corinth was written 2,000 years ago. It doesn't apply to us today. But you know what? It applies to church life in 2017 and in 2018 as much as it applied to the Corinthian church 2,000 years ago. And here's why. Because, look, you say, what is the problem? Well, the problem is that there was open sin in the congregation. But even more than that, the problem was that the church, the congregation, had an acceptance or a tolerance of that sin to the point that they were actually puffed up and boasting and bragging and glorying about it. See, these people were going around saying, look how accepting we are. Look how tolerant we are. Look how loving we are. This young man is fornicating with his father's wife, you know, which I don't think it was his mother because it doesn't say it's his mother. It's probably his stepmother. And these people are actually proud of themselves. Look, isn't that the state we live in today in the United States of America with so-called churches? Well, you can go to the average church today, and you have people just committing adultery, living in fornication, living in drunkenness, having things even worse than the ones found in the, you know, just open sodomy within the church. And instead of the churches mourning and being ashamed and saying, man, what happened and how did we get to this place in our life? They actually boast and brag about it. They actually think it's a good thing. 
they're puffed up and they say, well, we are so tolerant and we are so accepting. And they look down at churches like us and they say, well, you're so legalistic. You don't even know what that means. You know, you, you are so, you know, pharisaical because we preach the Bible. I, I don't think the Pharisees were preaching the Bible. I think they were preaching, you know, man's tradition. But the problem is that these people, look, tolerance is the devil's doctrine. Tolerance is the devil's doctrine. And today we are told and, you know, we need to worship tolerance and we need to accept everyone and we need to be respectful of everyone. But Paul said, no, that's the problem. The problem is not only that there's open sin, that that's bad enough, but he said the other problem, and maybe even the bigger problem, is that you're puffed up about it, is that you're uh, boasting and bragging about it. You're arrogant about it. So I want you to notice, first of all, in this text, we see the problem. I'd like you to notice, secondly, not only do we see the problem there, but we also see the procedure. Look at verse 3. There's a procedure that Paul takes in regards to this problem. Look at verse 3. He says, for I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, why don't you notice these words, have judged already. Have judged already. Now, you know, when I read 1 Corinthians 5, here's what I think. Paul knew nothing about the seeker-sensitive movement, you know, that is so prevalent today in American Christianity. I mean, Paul had no clue about the emerging church. Paul did not understand anything about the contemporary Christian church because today the contemporary Christian church says, come as you are and stay that way. I mean, they say, come fornicating, come committing adultery, come being a drunkard, come being a drug addict. And we're not trying to help you get better. We just want you to stay that way. In fact, we're so proud and arrogant. We're even, you know, uh, of our tolerance. We even boast and brag about it. And Paul would say, wait a minute, that's not biblical church. But then Paul takes it a step further, and he uses the word, the word that you can never use today in the, in the average church, and he uses the judge word. He says, for I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already. And you know what they would say to Paul? They would say, you are so judgmental. But he says, I've, I've judged already as though I were present concerning him that has so done this thing. And here's a question you've got to answer for yourself. Because today, the modern church is going to say to you, you should never judge anyone for any reason ever. Because that's what Jesus taught. So here's a question I have for you. Is that what Jesus taught? Is that what the New Testament teaches? Is that what the Apostle Paul taught? Because here Paul says, I have judged already. And notice he emphasizes this idea of judging. Look at verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 12. He says, for what, I what, for what have I to do? We're going to come back. We're going to get through the whole passage, but look at verse 12 real quickly. For what have I to do? Notice, to judge them also that are without. Do not ye judge them that are within, but the same that are without, God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Go to chapter 6 and verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because here's the funny, here's the question. I, you know, I, I thought... As Christians, we are supposed to judge anybody, ever. Judge not that ye be not judged. You know, is, isn't that what the Bible says? Well, again, and like we talked about on Sunday morning, you can't take a verse out of its context. You've got to be able to look at an entire passage within its context to interpret it properly. And we're going to do that here in a minute. But the question is, are we just not supposed to judge at all? Well, it doesn't seem like Paul got that memo. 
Because Paul is saying, I have judged already to judge them. He says, do not, do not ye judge them that are within. He talks about the fact that God judges. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, this is next week's uh, sermon. So, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I want you to notice just this theme that Paul has. Verse 1. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? Doesn't seem like Paul got the, you know, got on the don't ever judge anyone for any reason bandwagon. And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matter? He's saying, look, you are worthy to judge the smallest matter. Verse 3, know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to, the, uh, to life? If then ye have, uh, it, uh, verse 4, if then ye have judgment of things pertaining to this life, set, set them to judge, notice, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. Look at 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 31. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 31. This is after he's talking about uh, taking the Lord's Supper and communion. We'll get to that in several weeks. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-one. He says, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So here's the question. Paul is teaching that judging is a thing, a, a, a responsible thing, an accurate thing for, for, for Christians uh, to do. So here's the question. Is Paul out of step with Christ? Because Christ is the one who said, judge not that ye be not judged. Well, let's look at what Christ said. Go to, go to Matthew chapter 7. Keep your place there in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. We're going to come back to it. But go to Matthew chapter 7 and look at verse number 1. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1, notice what he says. Judge not that ye be not judged. I mean, that's the favorite verse of the contemporary Christian church today. Judge not that ye be not judged. Verse 2. Now look, you can't study the Bible that way. You can't just take one verse and say, see, there you go. We're never supposed to judge anybody for any reason. No, no, no. See, there's a verse 1 because there's a verse 2. And there's a verse 2 because, and then there's a verse 3. And you got to look at it all in its context to understand what God is saying, what Jesus is saying. He says, judge not that you be not judged. Verse 2, for. What does the word for mean? He, he says, because. He says, for this reason. He says, you shouldn't judge unless you want to get judged. Here's why. Here's why he's saying, here's why you would not want to judge. Or here's why you would not want to be judged. He says, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Here's what he's saying. When you choose to judge someone based on a rule, realize that you're going to be judged based on the same rule. When you uh, choose a measuring stick to say, well, here's the standard, here's the measurement, then realize that that measuring stick is going to be uh, uh, held up to you as well. Look at verse 3. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? Now, what's a mote? It's like a splinter, right? It's like a, 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 a piece of, of small wood. He says, why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considers not the beam that is in thine own eye? Now, look, he, he's, being a, he's using a little sarcasm here. But he's saying, you've got a two-by-four, you know, just plunged into your eye, but you're worried and concerned with the little splinter that's in your brother's eye. This is the context of judge not that you be not judged. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, you should not judge in a hypocritical matter. 
in a, in a way where you've got a big issue, a big problem. Everybody's aware of your big problem, but you're making a big deal about somebody else's small problem. Notice verse 4. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Is it another principle is he's saying, look, don't be too concerned with trying to help other people out when you need help. But look, is he saying never judge for any reason? Look at verse 5. Thou hypocrite. See, the problem, the judge not that ye be not judged, the context is hypocritical judgment. He says thou hypocrite. And notice what he says though. First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. So according to verse 5, are you never supposed to cast out the mote out of your brother's eye? No, he says just first make sure you get your issues dealt with before you try to help somebody else. So he's not saying don't ever judge for any reason. He's not saying that because you had some major issue in your past, some major sin, and you dealt with it, that you can't now be a blessing to your brother and say, hey, look, at one time in my life, I had this big beam in my eye, and I cast that out. Let me help you pull out the mote out of thy brother's eye. He's saying, in fact, that's what you should be doing. So the judge not that ye be not judged is not about never judge anybody for any reason ever. No, it's you shouldn't be judging in a hypocritical way when you've got a big beam in your eye and then you're just, you know, concerned with, you know, tearing people apart and all their little issues when in comparison, you've got the major problem. Go to John chapter number seven. You're there in Matthew. Go past Mark to Luke and John. Let me give you another another uh, guideline that Jesus gave in regard in, in regards to judging. John chapter seven. John chapter 7 and verse 24. And it's important to study this because, you know, today you, you get up and you make biblical statements. You read a verse from the Bible and then you make a statement. And people are like, you're so judgmental. But it comes from this idea that today all Christians are told, even independent federal Baptists, don't judge, don't judge. That's not what the Bible says. John chapter 7 and verse 24 says this, judge not. Well, he's telling us not to judge. Yeah, judge not. Notice what he says, according to the appearance. But judge righteous judgment. You know, Jesus said that we should not judge based on the way that things look. And that we should be careful about, you know, judging people based on the way things look or situations look. He said you better make sure your judgment is righteous judgment. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So we see the issue of judging. And I just want to bring that up and make sure you understand that God is not against judging for any reason ever. And obviously when we judge, our motives and our hearts should be in the right place. We ought not be judging in a way that is, number one, hypocritical, but we should also not be judging in a way that is based on appearance. Okay, You can look at other passages talk, talk about not judging in a way where you're being a respecter of persons. Okay, There are obviously are guidelines to how we judge and, and things like that, but it, there's not just this you know, mandate in Scripture to never judge for any reason. That is a false teaching. Look at verse 3. I want you to notice there's another, there's another uh, you know, thing we can learn here about the procedure and the process to which Paul kicks these people out of church because he's kicking a young man out of church in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 3. He says, for I verily, notice these words, as absent in body. Paul wasn't even there. He said, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed. 
You know, recently we, we had to kick people, you know, we kicked somebody out of our church, and we've kicked lots of people out of our church for different things, you know, and I, and, and I was criticized, you know, because these guys were saying, oh, no, you were, we're supposed to have this court case where they're supposed to be allowed to call witnesses and cross-examine them and blah, blah. You know, where's that in the Bible? Okay, and you say, well, why, why are you, you know, why would you, you let people do that? Because, look, people that want to do that just want to make this church into a circus. And, and I've, I've literally kicked people out via text message, where I just sent them a text message saying, don't ever come back. And people are like, I can't believe you would do that. Well, you know what? For I verily as absent in body but present in spirit have judged already. Paul's kicking somebody out writing a letter. He's writing a letter to the church of Corinth saying, hey, that guy, kick him out. You think, you, you think he wouldn't have done it through email? You think he wouldn't have done it through text message? And people are like, oh, I can't believe you would say that. Look, Paul wasn't even there. But he said, I got the facts. I know what's being reported. I got the story. I'm not even there. I'm absent in body, but present in spirit. I've judged already as though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed. So I want you to notice that this whole, you know, church government garbage, you know, people try to act like the church is supposed to, like, follow the United States. You know, I've been to churches where they, like, elect their deacons. They literally have elections where the deacons are running for deaconship, you know, and they're like, vote for me, and they're kissing babies, you know, and they're, like, shaking people's hands, and then they go, and they vote, and they vote in the deacon. You know what? We're never going to, we don't have deacons at this church because our church isn't at the place where it needs one, but when we get a deacon, we're not going to vote for him. Say, how are you going to decide on a deacon? I'm going to pray and ask God to lead me, and the Holy Spirit will tell me who to choose as a deacon because that's how they did it in the Bible. Because that's how they did it in the Word of God. And this whole idea, you know, where we want to try to turn church into, like, the United States Constitution, it's just a bunch of ridiculous garbage. And, and here's the thing. You say, well, how can you say that? Here's how I can say that. You know, the United States of America wasn't even around when Paul was writing these things. He's writing to a Greek community. You know, they had their own government philosophies and cultures. But he's saying, look, I'm writing in a letter. He said, I'm not there, but I've already judged. I'm writing in a letter. And I think Paul would have texted. I think Paul would have emailed saying, get that guy out of here. You know, this guy's a bad purpose person. So we see, number one, the problem. We see, number two, the procedure. I'd like you to notice, number three, the purpose. Look at verse four. The purpose of church discipline. First Corinthians chapter five and verse four. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, notice verse five, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And look, I don't think people understand this about church discipline, but when a church administers church discipline and kicks you out of church, or people like to call it excommunicate you out of church, which, you know, that term, if you're Catholic, means you lose your salvation. Obviously, we don't believe that. Church, you know, the salvation is not based on church, okay? We don't give salvation. We don't take it away. But to excommunicate someone in the sense that you're no longer allowed them to be part of the congregation, you kick them out of church, whatever you want to call it, that's not just kicking somebody out of church. Look, there's a curse of God that comes with that action. You say, well, how can you say that? Well, that's what Paul said. He said, we are doing this. We are kicking this individual out. We are getting them out of our congregation. And here's what we're praying will happen in their lives to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now you say, well, what, what is that 
talking about? What is the reference to that? Well, let me let me just show you a couple of verses. Go to, go to 2 Samuel chapter number 24 in the Old in the Old Testament. You got the one true book, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles. Let me go ahead and say this. And we talked about this on Sunday morning about how to study the Bible. People like to take this passage and say that, look, if you can, so there are certain sins that if you don't get them right, you'll lose your salvation. To deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved. Okay, and they'll say, see, if this young man didn't get this sin out of his life, he was not saved. Okay, here's what you need to understand when you study the Bible. The word saved in the Bible is not always talking about spiritual salvation. You need to just understand that. There's many references in Scripture where the word saved is being used, and it's not talking about heaven and hell. And you say, well, how do you know in this instance which one's being spoken of? Well, let me just explain a couple things to you. If you've got, you know, a hundred clear passages that tell you that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, that you can do whatever you want and still be saved. You mean living in fornication and not lose your salvation. And you got one verse in 1 Corinthians 5 that you think might kind of sound like, then look, you just go with the clear passages. Isn't that uh, something we learned on Sunday morning about how to study the Bible? But here's what I want you to understand. God often uses Satan as a tool to chasten and scourge his people. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 24. Let me give you an example. Verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 24. And it says to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved. What's the idea? Is it Satan who gives salvation? You say all Satan does is destroying the flesh. I believe, because remember as we've been studying 1 Corinthians, what has been the context, the major theme? The theme has been this idea of rewards, right? We saw it in chapter 3 about the judgment seat of Christ, but we've been seeing it throughout. We saw it in chapter 4 as well about the, the living your life with purpose and living your life in a way that one day you'll receive rewards. I think he's talking about the fact that, you know, that, that he would be saved in the sense that he would have rewards, that his life would have purpose, that his life would actually have something. I, uh, you know, think that this young man was obviously, I definitely don't think that he was losing his salvation in this instance. But look, look at 2 Samuel 24 and verse 1. Notice what it says. 2 Samuel 24, 1. And again, the anger, 2 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 1. Notice what it says. And again, the anger of, notice these two words, the Lord. The anger of the Lord. Okay, that's Jehovah God. Was kindled against Israel, and he, who's the he there? That's the Lord. Moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. So according to 2 Samuel 24, 1, the Lord moved David to go number Israel and Judah. But go to 1 Chronicles 21. 1 Chronicles 21 and verse number 1. 1 Chronicles 21 and verse 1. 1 Chronicles 21 and verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Chronicles 21, 1. You're there in 2 Samuel. You're going to go past 1 2 Kings first, second, uh, into 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles 21. Look at verse 1. Here you got a parallel passage of the same story. Notice what it says. And Satan. You see that? And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. You say, well, wait a minute. Which one is it? Is it Satan who stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel? Or is it the Lord who uh, moved David against them to say, go and number Israel? See, David was living in sin at this time. You say, well, which one was it? Was it the Lord or was it Satan? It was both. It was the Lord using Satan as a tool to bring chastisement on the, uh, on the life of David because at this point, David is making bad decisions. 
He's living his life off of pride. He wants to know how many people there are so he can feel good and boast and brag for himself. And God is using Satan to bring destruction upon David. Why? So that David will get right with God. And what happens at the end of the story? We got this big plague. We have all these destruction that comes. And what happens to David? His heart is smelled. He gets right with God. That's what 1 Corinthians 5, 5 is about. Go back to 1 Corinthians 5. To deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And look, if you get kicked out of church, you need to realize that that curse comes along with it. That's the prayer that's being prayed that Satan would destroy your flesh so that you'll get right with God. So that your spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. God often uses Satan to get our attention. So obviously you don't lose your salvation when you get kicked out of church. But you do. there is a protection and blessing of God that goes along with that, that curse that goes along with church discipline. So we saw number one, the problem. We saw number two, the procedure. We saw number three, the purpose. What's the purpose? That the spirit may be saved. That we can get them right with God. That Satan will have his way. That God will use Satan as a tool to destroy the flesh, to get them right with God. Look at verse 6. We see number 4 here, the principle. The principle of church discipline. What's the principle? Look at verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not. Here's, here's the idea. Here's, here, you know, why, why have church discipline? Why kick people out of church? Why, you know, bring a curse upon their lives? You know, why do that? Here's why. Because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Because a little bit of sin will spread. And there's certain sins that you cannot allow within the church congregation. Why? Because if you allow it, it'll leaven the whole lump. And look at verse 7. So what do you do? He says, purge out, therefore, the old leaven. Purge out means get, get it out. Get rid of it. He says, purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump. As ye are unleavened, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And you know, let me say this. I really feel like 1 Corinthians 5, 7 is kind of a theme verse for our church as we go into the new year. Because, you know, 2016 was an awesome year, wasn't it? I mean, 2016, we were just having uh, dinner with the Jones family. And they, they brought this up, you know, they, they brought this up. And I was like, man, yeah, that's true. You know, in 2016, we started a church up in Vancouver. In 2016, we started the Red Hot Preaching Conference. But in 2016, we had that big, you know, Orlando protest, right? And, you know, that year was a lot about fighting without. We were fighting a lot, a lot of battles with, you know, a bunch of reprobates around this world attacking us. But, you know, 2017 was a little different. 2017 was kind of fightings within. Because the Bible talks about people have crept in unawares. And we had to deal with that. You know, we have to, and, and that's just part of church life, you know. And, and, but I feel like going into this new year, you know, we've dealt with a lot of just false doctrine and false teaching. I feel like we've purged out there for the old leaven, and we can go on in the new year as a new lump. And really start, all, you know, start with, with just a new spirit and having a lot of purity within our church and, and having a lot of striving together and, and a good attitude and a good spirit. Look at verse 8. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So see, the idea, the principle of church discipline is to protect the congregation. Why? Because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And there are some things 
that you cannot. And, and look, he's going to give us a list here in a minute of the types of sins that you cannot allow within church. But one of them is fornication. Look, we cannot allow open fornication in the church, you know, to just allow it to be something that is, is that ours? Nice. Who's calling the church home? <laughs> be in church, you know. Um, what was I saying? About the, the leaven. You know, we can't, fornication is something. And look, we've had to throw people out of church for fornication. And do we do it, you know, because we're mad at them or because we hate? No, we do it because that's what the Bible says, you know. And we go to people and we tell them, look, here's what the Bible says. And you've got a choice here. You need to get right. And, and if people get right, you know, we've had people that I went to them and they got married. Praise the Lord. And they, you know, kept serving God. And, and God used, has used them and blessed their life. But we've had other people that said they refused to get married. So you know what we said? We said, well, you're going to have to go. You can't come to this church anymore. You say, why? Because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And if you allow people to just live in forn open fornication, you know what's going to happen? You allow one person to do it, and then you're going to have all sorts of people doing it. We're going to have all sorts of kids just growing up and thinking, I don't want my kids to grow up and think it's normal for some guy and some girl to be shacking up together, not married, with no commitment, with no, you know, uh, 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 marriage ceremony. No, you know what? Uh, that's the kind of stuff that you can't allow. And, and there's, there's a whole list of it. We'll go through it. But he's telling us that we have to protect the congregation. So we saw the problem. We saw the procedure. We saw the purpose. We saw the principle. The principle is to protect because a little leaven leaven at the whole lump. We see number five. There are parameters to this. We see the parameters. What are those? Look at verse nine. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. So he, he's saying, look, you're not supposed to company with fornicators. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But look at verse 10. He says, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world. So he said, there are some parameters. What's a parameter? It's like a border, you know, some guidelines to this. He said, there are some parameters to this idea of not companying with fornicators. He says, I'm not talking about, he says, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters. He says, for then must ye needs go out of the world. He says, look. If you were not allowed to keep company with any fornicator, he said, you couldn't go to the grocery store. You couldn't go to your job. Okay, you couldn't go to the post office. You couldn't do anything. And he's, like, and he's saying, that's not what I'm saying. He said, I'm not telling you that you need to go out of the world to not company with fornicators. And, and go to John chapter number 17. Let me show you a couple of verses about this. Because this is basically the idea that, you know, the Amish have, the idea that the Mennonites have. the And, and look, even fundamental Baptists can kind of get this idea where they're like so separated from the world. You know, we homeschool our children. We never let them out of the house, you know. Uh, they, we, they barely even go to church. You know, God is not teaching here that we need to go buy some property and go live in some commune somewhere away from everybody. John 17 and verse 14, I want you to notice what the Bible says. John 17, 14, this is Jesus praying for the disciples, and he says this, John 17, 14, he says, I have given them my word, and the world has hated them. Look, the, it, the, Jesus said that if you're a true disciple of him, if you're actually following him, the world's going to hate you. And if the world doesn't hate you, there's a problem with your discipleship. Because, notice what he says, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, Amish, which Amish aren't even saved, but you know what I mean. 
The idea is, you know, it's not that we're supposed to go out of the world. He says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. He says, let them live a sanctified and separated life within the context of the world. So I'm not saying to take them out of the world. And when it comes to church discipline, you know, don't go overboard with it where you're just like, I'm not even, I'm not even going to go to work because it's a guy who's living in fornication. That's not what the Bible says. Okay, so what does the Bible say? What are the parameters for this? Look at verse 11, 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 11. He says, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. Notice what he says. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous, or idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. So I want you to notice he says, if any man that is called a brother. So what is that saying? That's saying, look, this does not apply to unsaved people, unbelievers. It does apply to those who have a testimony of salvation. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, then you're supposed to separate. Then you're supposed to have church discipline, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner with such, and one know not to eat. Go to, go to Revelation chapter number 2. Let me show you something real quickly. Last book of the Bible should be fairly easy to find, Revelation 2. But let me, let me go ahead and say this. I believe that God wants us to err on the side of grace. You know, whenever it comes to this church discipline dilemma, there's always two extremes to it. There's the people that want you to be on a hair trigger, you know, just like throw everyone out, you know, if they even come close to any of these things, right? And then there's the other extreme that it's people like they don't ever want you to throw anybody out. In fact, they get mad and leave the church when you throw, you legitimately throw someone out of church and they're like, well, I'm leaving. I just can't handle that. Well, then you can't handle the Bible, you know, then you need to go. And we don't want you around here, you know, because that's what the Bible says. That's what the word of God says. But, you know, I believe that God wants us to have church discipline, but I do believe that he wants us to err on the side of grace or to give people time to grow and to give people time to repent. You say, well, prove that from the Bible. We'll go to Revelation chapter 2. Look at verse 18. This is Jesus speaking to the seven churches of Asia, and I want you to notice what he says in Revelation 2, 18. He says, and unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these things saith the Son of God who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy work, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. So he's gonna, he just told him, there's some things I like about you guys, but there are some things that I don't like. Let me tell you what they are. He says, because thou sufferest, the word suffer means to allow. He says, you are allowing that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach. Okay, so this church, and look, this ought to be a lesson to you because we like to walk around and act like our church is the only church that God's just happy with, and it's our church and our four buddies, and that's it. This church literally had a woman teaching and preaching, and God said, there's some things I like about this church. He said, but there's some major issues. That's what he says. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess, to teach. And if it, you know, and you, you say, I'm not saying this was a woman preacher. Okay? I'm not saying this was Joyce Myers. But, you know, there's some independent fundamental Baptist churches that have women Sunday school teachers. They might not, you know, God's not happy with that. 
But they might not just be, you know, in the same league with Joyce Meyer. Do you understand what I'm saying? You probably don't. That's fine. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou suffers that woman just was called herself a prophetess to teach. And, but notice, and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication. So this lady was not only teaching, she was seducing people to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now look, if I, well here's all I'm trying to say. If this church existed today, we would all be making all sorts of sermon clips about it, right? I mean, we'd be all just preaching these. I mean, they've got a woman teacher. She's seducing the servants to commit fornication. They're eating sacrifices unto idols. Verse 21, notice what Jesus says, and I gave her space to repent of her fornication. So notice that Jesus is on a hair trigger. He says, I gave her space to repent. He says, I, I gave her time. See, God is patient. And here's what I know about us is that we're always thankful when God is patient with us and we're always frustrated when God is patient with someone else. You know, the righteous, hypocritical, judging based on appearance in us, see somebody else doing something that we don't like and we're like, why doesn't God just come down on them? But, you know, but aren't you thankful that God sometimes is going to come down on you? And look, he says, I gave her space to repent of her fornication. And she repented not. She said, well, Pastor Jimenez, what do you do with people that are living in fornication at Verity Baptist Church when you find out about it? You know, I try to deal with it. I try to deal with it in the right spirit, in the right attitude, and I try to give them space to repent of their fornication. And I've had people who have said, well, I think you're moving too slow. And I tell people, well, when you're the pastor, you move as fast as you want. But I'm the pastor of this church, and I'm giving people, I talk with them. I go to them. I show them what the Bible says. I try to give them space to make it right. You say, why? Because that's what Jesus did. And this woman was teaching and you know, eating sacrifice unto idols. Now look, eventually he had to deal with it. Verse 22, behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. Doesn't that sound like the curse of God upon someone's life? And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the reins and hearts and will give unto every one of you according to your works. So here's what I want you to understand. We try to give people time. We try to give them, a, a, you know, the opportunity to get right. But eventually, you know, and here's, what, and here's what you need to understand. Go back to 1 Corinthians 5. Because people get mad at me. Look, when I, when I stand up here on a Sunday night and I say, listen, we have to deal with an issue of church discipline. We're kicking sister so-and-so out of the church. We're kicking, you know, so-and-so out of the church. You just realize when we do that, we're, we're not on a hair trigger to do that. That's the last thing we want to do. If, 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 if I have to cross that line, it's because I've been forced to cross that line. You understand that? Because people get mad at me, and they're like, I can't believe you kicked them out. It's like, man, if you knew what I know. And sometimes people do know what I know, and it's still amazing. Go to 1 Corinthians 5.11. Let me give you one more thought in regards to the parameters here. Notice what he says, 1 Corinthians 5.11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator. You know, we don't kick people out of church because they show up as a first-time guest living in fornication. It's not like the ushers sit there at the front door, and when a couple comes up, we say, we need to see your marriage license before we let you in because we can't have fornicators, okay? Notice what he says, when a man is called a brother. Sometimes there are people that come to our church that if I said the name right now, and I, don't, I can't think of any right now, so don't worry, all right? But, you know, we've had this situation in the past where there was people that would come in our church that I knew were living in fornication, and if I said the name to you, you wouldn't know who they were. Because they show up to our church maybe once every other month on a Sunday morning, 
And you say, so what's the parameter that you use? Here's the parameter I use. When they are called a brother. Meaning, when I start seeing that people know them well enough to where they're saying, hey, brother so-and-so, then I realize, okay, they're getting connected enough to where people are acknowledging the fact that this is a brother. That's what it says. If any man that is called a brother. So, you know, sometimes visitors come and they're like, oh, is that a first-time visitor? And I'm like, no, that person's been here like five times. Oh, really? Yeah, because they've been here like five times over the last two and a half years. I don't worry about those people. I'm not, I don't worry about, you know, are they living in fornication? I'm going to have to kick them out. They come every once a quarter. Do you understand what I'm saying? When someone gets connected enough to where people actually know who they are and they're calling them a brother, that's when we start, you know, dealing with the issue and talking to them and explaining to them what the Bible says. Go, go back to 1 Corinthians 5. I don't know if you're there or not. We saw, number one, the problem. We saw the procedure. We saw the purpose, the principle, the parameters. Lastly, I want you to notice the practice. The practice of church discipline. So what does it mean to have church discipline or to discipline someone out of church? Does it mean that we have a, a word document with everybody's name on it who's a member of the church and we just go through and, you know, put a line through their name? What does it mean to practice church discipline? Well, it's highlighted throughout the entire chapter. Look at verse 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication. Notice the emphasis, among you. Among you. Look at verse 2. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that has done this deed might be, notice the emphasis, taken away from among you. Look at verse 7. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. Look at verse 9. I wrote unto you in an epistle, notice what he says, not to company or not to keep company with fornicators. Look at verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. Look at verse 13. Them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. You say, what is, what is the practice of church discipline? It means you put them away. It means you don't keep company. It means that you, uh, they are taken from away from among you. What does it mean? It means you're not around them. And people are, you know, people get this idea like, oh, well, you kicked them out of church, but can I still hang out with them at BJ's? No! That's the point! You're not supposed to eat with them! You're not supposed to, well, it's not at church, it's at Pete's Coffee. Don't you understand what the Bible says? I mean, can't you understand? He's not saying remove their name off a of church membership. He's not saying don't allow them to come to the church service. He's saying don't be around them. That's the practice. And look, it's always funny to me that people want to come to a church that follows the Bible and preaches the Bible. And then we actually get up and follow the Bible and preach the Bible. And everybody's like, well, I don't know. That's a little too much. I mean, I'm afraid to, you know, you know let me, good night. How, you, you, people are so weird about this. They, can't even, they don't even have the guts to defriend them off of Facebook. I mean, it's like this big old thing to like, oh, I got to defriend you. It's like, look, he says don't even be around them. Don't even be among them. Don't keep company with them. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. You say, but isn't that me? No, it's not me. Because you know what? We go to these people and we say, hey, here's your opportunity. Get right. No, then get out. That's how it comes up. And I let people go, and, you know, we don't, if, but if they don't want to get right with the God or they don't want, look, and it's, they've heard it, we've talked to them, we've dealt with it, they don't want to hear it. And, look, this is taught throughout the entire Bible. Let me give you some references. Go back to Romans chapter 16. You're there in 1 Corinthians, just one book back. 
I don't understand what there is to not understand about this. Look, if, if I saw someone that our church kicked out of church, you know, at a restaurant, I wouldn't talk to them. I wouldn't be like, hey, how are you doing? I might curse at them. No, I'm just kidding. I won't say that. <laughs> I'm not going to hang out with them and be like, hey, how are you doing? We miss you. No, look, the punishment is that you put them away, that you disfellowship, that you're not their friend, that you're not around them. That's the whole point. Romans 16 and verse 17. Romans 16, verse 17. Notice that it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Notice he said you're supposed to mark them and avoid them. And by the way, there's different reasons you kick people out of church. One reason is because of open sin. That's what 1 Corinthians 5 is about. In Romans 16, we talk about people that are causing division and offenses. That's your little Bible study where you're ripping apart the pastor and ripping apart what the church believes. You know, you're holding your little peep-talky Bible study. You know what? If you're causing division and offenses contrary to the doctrine, we're going to mark you. That's talking about publicly say these. this is who we're talking about, and we're going to avoid them. That's what it says. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Find the T book, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, they're all clustered together, 2nd Thessalonians, 2nd Timothy. And look, I realize, I realize, because to me, you know, I pastor Verity Baptist Church, I pastor a church that preaches the Bible. I've been living this life, you know, as, as far as pastoring for seven years. I'm so far separated from the liberal, even the liberal ISD churches, it's hard for me to really even get my mind around the stupidity that goes on in those places. You know, but, I, but you, you need to understand that because some of you are there, too. You've been coming to church like this for years, and you're like, oh, this is normal. This is what, you know, what the Bible says. Not all churches are preaching like this. I mean, not all churches are going to 1 Corinthians 5 and just dissecting it and saying, here's what the Bible says, and here's what we're going to do. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 14. 2 Thessalonians 3, 14, notice what it says. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, that's talking about marking them, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. So look, he says, don't have company. And what's the point? That he would be ashamed, that they would be embarrassed. Look, and it's not that we're supposed to hate these people. Look at verse 15. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. There, it's not that there are enemies. I'm talking about people that are saved that get kicked out of church. Obviously, there are reprobates that get kicked out of church. Those are our enemies because they hate God, all right? You need to understand those things. I'm kind of going deeper than I probably should. Go to Galatians chapter 6. If you got, you're there in 1 Corinthians, you got 2 Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. This is the last one we'll look at tonight. Galatians chapter 6. What is the purpose? What is the purpose of separation, kicking people out of church? Because we saw the problem. What's the problem? The problem was open sin and a church that was proud and arrogant about it and thought it was they were cool and they were so loving because they were accepting and tolerant of it. I mean, I've been I've been told because you know people call us or email us or whatever, and um, they'll they listen to the preaching and they send us. Here. I've been told of churches, independent fundamental Baptist churches, where two homos walk in holding hands, sit on the front row. One filthy animal puts his arm around the other filthy animal. You know, in the middle of the church service, and everybody's just like, look how loving we are. Look how accepting we are. That's what Paul's talking about. You think that would ever happen here? I mean, good night. I'd be lucky if I got to them, you know, <laughs> to say, hey, you got to leave before somebody, you know, wouldn't do that good thing. Good night. But 
that's the world we live in. I mean, that's literally the world we live in where churches think, like, that's okay. Oh, we got to love them. We got to be accepted. No, you know what? Your glory is not there. You are puffed up, and you don't even know what the Bible says. Galatians 6, 1, brethren. So what's the purpose? Why, why, why administer church discipline? Here's the purpose. The purpose of separation, listen to me carefully. The purpose of separation, here's the loving part, all right? You want the loving, right? The purpose of separation is restoration. The purpose of separation is restoration. Galatians 6, 1, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. See, the purpose is to restore. And in 2 Corinthians, we read about this young man getting restored. He got right. And then Paul's telling him, okay, well, bring him in and forgive him and, and, and help him continue. Why? Because the purpose of separation, kicking someone out, is restoration. Now you say, well, why doesn't this work today? Why doesn't this work, church discipline? Why do people get kicked out, but we never see them really coming back, getting right with God? There's several reasons. Number one, because they can just go to some other lame church. And they're, because most churches aren't practicing this. In fact, we, people leave here and they go to some church. I, I've literally had some go to some church and they're just like, they kicked me out. They're so mean. They're bullies. And the pastor calls me from the other church. He said, man, this person said you kicked them out of church. And I'm like, yeah, we did. And they're like, why? I'm like, you ever read 1 Corinthians 5? And I have to sit there and like explain it to them over the, fo- over the phone. And they're like, oh, wow, man, I guess that's, yeah, I never really noticed that. I'm like, Ooh, you're a pastor? Never noticed that. You know, and they're like, and, and they tell me like, well, we're not going to let them live in fornication in our church. But yet I find out a month later they still don't. So what does that tell you? You know, so here's the thing. Most churches aren't following this, which is why it's not effective. But here's another why it's not, the, probably the main reason why it's not effective is because most church members aren't following this. When I get up here and I say we're kicking so-and-so out and everybody just wants to still be their little friend and their little buddy. And, well, Pastor, you know, he's just a little mean and he's this and that. And, and well, I'm still going to hang out with you. And you know what? You don't help us administer the punishment and you're the problem. You know, if you're going to come to a church like this, then you need to get on board with what we're doing here. And if we throw someone out of church, then you need to get on board with them and say, you know what? I'm not going to keep something here. And when they call you, don't answer. And when they invite you, say no. And they say, well, you're mad at me? I'm not mad at you. It's just what the Bible says. It's what the Word of God says. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your Word. Thank you for the Bible. Lord, I realize that these passages are not being preached today. People don't preach it and even less believe it. But it's what the Bible says. And if we followed it properly, it would work. When Paul administered this discipline upon this young man, We get to read in 2 Corinthians how the young man got right with God. And he got back to church. And Lord, I pray you just help us to the best of our ability. We Obviously, we can't control what other churches do. But help us to the best of our ability, Lord, in the right spirit, with the right attitude, to say, here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Word of God says. Here's what we're supposed to do. Lord, give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard and give us the courage to do it. In Jesus' name we pray.